invite you now to join us together as we stand and greet the risen Christ found in the gospel readings this morning. Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. When they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded as teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Be seated. Good morning. The grace and peace of Christ be with you. It's a joy to be here with you this day and to welcome you. Also want to give a special welcome to any that may be visiting with us today. We are all, we're reminded every time we come together in the presence of God that we're all guests in the house of God. We pray that this is a blessing for us all as we gather together in the Lord's presence and in one another's presence that the Lord may touch each and every life that is here. Also welcome those who are joining us by streaming or by delayed broadcast. Thank you for the beautiful flowers today that are in memory of Lee Cairns by Dan and Patty Bullock, and thank you for the beautiful music this day from our students. I, I want to share uh, a word that came to us uh, that uh, Eddie Smith, the husband of Reverend Dr. Deborah Smith, who used to be an associate pastor here, Deborah and Eddie were part of this congregation for a few years, and uh, Eddie passed away, and Deborah later became our district superintendent. And I know that many of you would want to know about that. Arrangements are not known at this time, but let, we'll be in prayer for Reverend Smith's family. My father used to work with light, gas, and water. And once I remember a conversation where I tried to understand electricity and how it all worked. And he described to me the process of bringing electricity to a city. Now, my dad's sitting in the back back there, so I hope I get this right. At any time, dad could just do like this if I'm getting it all wrong. But he described to me the process of bringing electricity to a city. The electricity is generated at places such as Wilson Dam in Alabama and other such places. Then it's boosted up to something approaching 600 kV. That's about 600,000 volts. Is that right so far? I've got a nod. Good. Good. And that's about 600,000 volts. It's carried by these huge power lines, very long distances. Then it undergoes a process of being reduced in voltage by substations, which send it out over street wires at lower voltage. Then it goes through a transformer, which brings it into our homes at 220 volts. Then it's convert, connected into our homes to travel in a circuit at only 110 volts. Something that begins 6,000.
thousand times more powerful is what we use to power our everyday lives. We can't even begin to fathom the power that's in those big power lines. Because the electricity has direction and conversions along the way that make it possible for us to use. The truth of Jesus Christ is like that. God poured God's fullness into a human being in Jesus Christ. In becoming a human being, he reduced himself so that we might understand him. But we should never, ever forget the power behind the truth. Truth's a funny thing. On one hand, it is by definition, the definition, truth. Yet we often spend our lives searching for it. Everywhere you turn, someone claims to have the truth. We pass laws that mandate truth and advertising. Political parties each claim to be the true way to make America a better nation. We equate truth with whatever, oftentimes we equate truth with whatever an individual wants as if truth is totally amenable to suit an individual's desires. But that kind of truth is no more valuable than a one-size-fits-all garment, which hardly ever fits anyone very well anyway. But today we're confronted by the truth of Christ. And in the scripture today, we recognize the power that his truth brings. And today I want to briefly highlight some lessons from today's scripture concerning the power of truth as Jesus has this confrontation with demons in this person in our story today. The first thing I want us to recognize is this. Truth is far more powerful than a simple fact. Truth is far more powerful than a simple fact. It's fascinating to me that Jesus silences the demons who speak through the man because later in Jesus' ministry, Peter will confess that Jesus is the Son of God, which is almost the same language that's used by this man. Jesus told Peter that he was blessed for making that confession. But when the demons in our scripture today say almost the same words, Jesus says to silence. There's a difference between confession of truth and stating a fact. Peter would later tell the crowds at Pentecost, confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and be saved. But confession, you see, has an effect on your life. Accepting the truth of Jesus Christ affects your life. The demons never had a desire to follow Jesus. For them, Jesus was a fact, but not the truth to be followed. Following the truth 
is what's necessary. To please his father, a, a college freshman, went out for track. He didn't really have any athletic ability, though his father had been a really good miler in his day. And his first race was a, a day at practice against, it was just a two-man race against the best miler in school. He was badly beaten. But not wanting to disappoint his father, the boy wrote home the following note. Dad, you'll be happy to know that I ran against Bill Williams, the best miler in school. He came in next to last while I came in second. <laughs> he told a fact, but it wasn't quite truthful, was it? I read a story about two little boys, two little brothers who were getting ready to boil some eggs to color for Easter. And the older brother said uh, to the little brother, I'll give you a dollar if you let me break three of these eggs on your head. And the little boy said, a, a whole dollar. And he said, yep, a whole dollar. Let me break three of them over your head. He said, okay. So he broke the first one and it began to drip. And he broke the second one and it began to drip. And the little boy waited. He waited for the third one. And he said, when's the third egg coming? And the older brother said, it's not, because that would cost me a dollar. <laughs> the truth is only as effective as it's followed. If we state the fact of Jesus' identity, but we do nothing about it in our behavior, in our hopes, in our morals, in our response to people's needs, how are we different than the boy who never intends to be truthful? Or how is it different than the demons who spoke the fact, but whose fate it was to be silenced? Truth is much more powerful. The truth of Jesus Christ is much more powerful than simply stating a fact. Secondly, truth has the power to change. Jesus healed a man, as the children have already learned today, Jesus healed a man inside the synagogue from the demons that were inside of him. But I want us to look a little more closely at the story. Notice that the man was already in the synagogue. He was already there, a part of the congregation. We sometimes imagine that the man perhaps came running into the congregation and fell down and screamed. As a matter of fact, I think I've seen it portrayed that way in a couple of uh, film versions. But the Bible in Mark's gospel says the man was already there. There was a man in their synagogue who evidently had spells at certain times. He was already there and he was possessed by an evil spirit and the spirit cried out. And no one knows, we don't know but from Mark's gospel what the nature of the evil spirit was that possessed the man. But there he was. There he was sitting in the synagogue all along trying to deal with something that wouldn't let him go. Somehow, he recognized Jesus when others didn't. Perhaps the darkness inside of him was scared by the light of Jesus. It may be even that the man didn't even fully recognize what was inside of him. 
Perhaps he was so familiar with his condition that he didn't even notice it anymore. But there was something about Jesus. And he asked a question, or I should say that the evil spirit, the demon, asked a question through the man. It's a question that does not anticipate change. It's a question that anticipates judgment. What have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? Very similar language in another gospel story where Jesus is on the other side of the lake and the demoniac comes to him and the demons say very, very similar thing. What have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? In many ways, this man who asked the question could be any person with something in his or her life that maybe even comes to church every week but can't imagine or expect or maybe not even desire a possibility of change. But, but repentance has to be a part of entering the kingdom. As it states in 1 John 3, 8, anyone who keeps on sinning belongs to the devil. The devil has sinned from the beginning. Listen, but the Son of Man came to destroy all that he's done. The power of the truth of Jesus Christ. The truth is we can become so comfortable with our lives that we can begin to believe everything's okay. And then something goes wrong. I read an account by someone who had a friend who went to the doctor. And after the examination, the doctor came into the room and said to the patient, do me a favor, would you please spell the word diet? And so the patient said D-I-E, and the doctor said stop. That's what's going to happen to you if you don't add the T. If you don't change your what you're eating, if you don't change your lifestyle, if you don't change your attitude, that's what's going to happen to you. And the patient heard the doctor and went home and sat in his lazy boy and he ate and ate and ate the same old ways and he kept the same old lifestyle and he got to a point where he just became kind of frozen in his chair. In about six months, the man wrote that I was reading the account of, and about six months later, he said we attended his funeral. He couldn't find a way to imagine the need for change. He couldn't find the power necessary. There are many things at times that we may want to believe. And for a while, those things may appear to be true. Then suddenly we find that all we believe wasn't as we thought it to be. The time comes when suddenly the money doesn't buy happiness. Or suddenly physical gratification doesn't bring fulfillment. 
Or suddenly the rebellion leaves us trapped. Or suddenly the control we sought over everything has become the master over us. And in our sin, or in our despair, or in our hopelessness, perhaps we've called out to Jesus. What have you to do with me? Are you going to destroy me? But in Jesus, you see, in Jesus is the power of truth that can bring change. Let's be clear. Jesus never promised that God's kingdom would fulfill our desires, despite what we may have heard certain preachers on TV say. I'm going to repeat that. Jesus never promised that God's kingdom would fulfill our desires. Rather, we are taught in the scriptures to submit our desires to God's will. It's the Lord who calls out to the demons in our lives and says, leave, leave. And we recognize that Jesus, who can cast out demons, can certainly free us from anything which might enslave us. Nothing has hold of our lives that is greater than the power of Jesus' truth to change. And that brings us to a third point that we learn in today's scripture. That truth, the truth of Jesus Christ has the power of authority. The people in the synagogue claim that Jesus taught with authority and not like the scribes and the Pharisees that they knew. It was a way of saying this, that it was common for the scribes and the Pharisees to teach in the name of somebody else. Just in the same way we are to do things in the name of Jesus. But Jesus would say things like, you've heard it said this, but I say to you this. So it was, Jesus taught with authority. Because Jesus is the embodiment of God's truth. But sometimes the world would tell us to believe what we want to believe. And that we are the arbiter of truth. And sometimes we're tempted to believe what we want to believe. Dr. Robert Osmond served for many years as the pastor of First United Methodist in Atlanta. In one of his books, Love is the Answer, he told about a lady he went to see in the hospital. She was very complimentary in the things that she said about him. You're the best preacher I've ever heard, she said. I've read some of you books. You're a great author, great author. You are the sweetest kindest person in the world. And, if I may say, you're a very handsome man, she said. Just then the nurse came in, and as he started to leave, she walked over to the door and said, Dr. Osmond, I don't know what she might have told you, but she is starting to lose her mind, so don't believe anything she said. Sometimes we're tempted to believe what we want to believe. But there's only one truth. 
one truth. Lincoln used to tell the story of a boy who asked, when asked how many legs his calf would have, if he called the tail a leg, replied five. And then Lincoln would say the correct response, of course, should have been four, because simply calling the tail a leg doesn't make it a leg. The truth is the truth is the truth. And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. There is no other truth beyond which is embodied as it is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was confronted by the demons, which he then confronted with his truth. A truth that was born out of the incredibly high power of God, a truth that had lessened himself into a human so that he might interact with us and we might understand a truth that's more powerful than simple fact, a truth that has the power to change and the truth that has the power of authority, a truth that healed a person from being possessed, a truth that can also set us free if we will repent. Whenever I see power lines, I'm reminded of that awesome power being conducted through those wires. And whenever we see Jesus, we should be reminded of the power of God that flows through his truth alone. That's true power the power of God's truth. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our final hymn is found on page 265, O Christ the Healer, we have come. I invite you to stand as we sing the first and last stanzas. Before we receive the benediction, I would ask for you to be seated for just a moment and invite Dr. Susan Hillebert to come to the podium to make an announcement about the Kenya mission. 
Hey, good morning. How's everybody? <clears throat> you may have noticed in your announcements, just on the inside first page of your bulletin, GUMC is sending a mission team to Kenya July 25th through August the 7th. This will be the 13th time that you, as a congregation, have sent a team to Kenya, so congratulations. Over 60 people in our congregation have participated in the Kenya mission um, and many non-members. This, we started taking teams to Kenya in 2007. So we've got a long history and a lot of friends there. During the mission, the team will build a house for a family of AIDS orphans or vulnerable children. We interact with children at local schools. We take school supplies. We participate in community health projects. We take medical supplies. Team members have done projects in a huge variety of ministries that um, are all under the umbrella of Maua Methodist Hospital and the Methodist Church of Kenya. If you have just a tickle of interest or general questions, be sure to contact me or Ed Clark or Bill McLaughlin. Our emails are in the bulletin with the announcement. We would love to have your presence on the team, but some of you can't go but we really would appreciate your gifts and we need your prayers. So if you'll just mark those dates in your calendar so that you can remember the Kenya mission in your prayers. Thanks. Have a good day. Thank you, Susan. Susan, will you be out in the narthex following this? So Susan will be in the narthex if anyone wants to talk to her. Thank you so much for your leadership in this along with Ed. Let's stand for the benediction. Receive these words. May the love, mercy, and grace of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace.